Green Crow Inn, a novel by Derek A. Kamal, read by Kelman Friedman. Chapter 7. Falling Market Day. Further discussion between myself and Sumi did not occur on that day or the next, or the week after. Perhaps work kept us apart, or perhaps she was avoiding me. And so I brooded. I am a capital brooder when it comes down to it, really. My mother once told me I spent an entire week sulking, with furrowed brow and all, at the age of five, because grandmother wouldn't tell me what she'd whispered in my father's ear at the dinner table. So, for some days after, I was in a mood. Even Furrier gave me a wide berth, or perhaps he was distracted by matters of accounts, or eggs, or structural issues, or whatever it was he did at the inn. The day my brooding was to cease was like any other. Horses were groomed without poetry. The palfrey I liked so much belonged to the Gomels, and so he was gone with them, and I missed him. Something else to brood about, I guess. Hostelry seemed to, Kalka had me take a few sacks of rye flour from the pantry to the kitchen. They were dropped mercilessly on the hard tile floor as Kalka looked on, stone-faced. Then it was a keg of ternary mead up from the cellar. It was impossibly heavy, and I wondered why our massive troll wasn't the one to do the job while I feared my knees would give out. Clearly, I was not the weakling Master Cullen said I was in primary school, for I delivered the keg to its place at the bar and sunk to the floor, gasping. You know, it's called ternary mead because ternary means three, and they use three kinds of hops, said Nairgy unprompted. He had extended his stay and was the one who had called for the mead in the first place. Apparently, this was the kind of thing dwarves drank for breakfast in some parts. Amazing, I murmured, and walked away. It was in the courtyard later that day, right about dusk, that I finally got a word with Sumi Kind. Or rather, she got a word in with me. I was sweeping the autumn leaves from the cobblestones and noticing a pair of guests sitting on one of the benches under the lights between the two wings of the green crow. It was a man and a dwarf woman. I noticed them, then noticed myself noticing them. I tried not to notice them, as I felt the sting of Sumi's words from before, but I was driven by an intense curiosity. I've never seen man and dwarf together in any kind of romantic way. Were they together? Friends? Newly met? I sighed for the tension in myself, and then Sumi appeared in the archway. Doing my best to ignore her and continue my brooding, I swept a bit more than leaned upon the broom and stared to my left at nothing in particular, though it was in a very brooding way. Tomorrow would be falling market day, she said. I did want to know what that could possibly be, but my brooding would not allow inquiry. Very good, I said, and broke my wistful stare in order to return to sweeping. Are you knowing the import of market days? The sweeping ceased. Are you still angry with me? There was concern on her face. Then she appeared to understand what I have referred to. I am to be judging no one, she said. The gossiping and such are not to my liking, but I cannot hold it against you. I felt the words barge out before I thought them. Because I ought to know what's going on around here. Curiosity is not a vice, it's not gossip. Sumi took a deep breath and nodded. I'm not a bad person, I said. No, you are not. My attention turned to the ground and the couple across the courtyard. They did not hear us, they were too deep in their own conversation. I idly scuffed my boot against the cobblestone. Sumi shivered as a cold breeze rushed through the courtyard, undoing some of my leaf work. And I don't like it when you don't like me, I said. I am not disliking you, she said seriously. 
I nodded, and forced one of those half-smiles one makes to fabricate a reassuring appearance. Satisfied, I said, I've been to market, of course. Callaheim is not a great place of trade, such as the other capitals, but we have our markets. Market Pinboom is a favorite. The traders there bring many dwarvish crafts. Sumi smiled. Falling market day is merely the largest market day this time of year. Kalka will be needing the troll and I for helping her with all the goods and such like, so we will be gone before the breakfast. Is there anything you are wishing for from the market? Well, I trailed off, not having considered a gift out of this arrangement. How very nice. Shifting my way to the other foot, I leaned on the broom again. You know, back home we had this wonderful pastry, a kind of fruit pie. Are there any bakers at this market? Sumi giggled prettily. There will be bakers, indeed, and I will be looking for this pie. But what of the horses and barn? Will you be needing anything for this? Oh, um, how embarrassing. She hadn't meant a gift after all. I tossed out a few ideas as quickly as I could. A fresh brush is always nice. Hey, food, you know, that kind of thing. She nodded, and there was another brief silence. No need to be worrying, she said. Kalka is arranging the help. I smiled at her. Feeling her tension broken, I found myself enjoying her bizarre accent and mere presence, and the light of the courtyard, and the chill air. All brooding left me. Then I heard my own voice saying, Wait, what? Next morning, Kalka was loading up a horse and wagon on loan from Pram, one of the local farmers known best for her melon rind ale. We were behind the green crow, in the grassy lawn between the small rear porch and the stables. The wagon was half full with half-empty boxes, and Kalka, along with Furrier and Sumikind, were loading it as quickly as they could in a race against the rising sun. So both time and patience were in short supply. You can't leave me at the inn, alone! I was near franticness, following her back and forth from the wagon to the stack of crates. I know, said the innkeeper, handing me a rather heavy box. I'm irresponsible, I said, then wondered why. I know, and you know I'm not leaving you alone. I blanched, then I shivered, and not for the weather. That's right, you have me to look after you, stupid. Isru was standing over us on the rear porch. Vapor puffed from her mouth as she breathed a laugh and continued munching on an apple slice. It appeared she enjoyed carving the poor piece of fruit with her pocket knife a bit too much. Don't leave me with this girl, I hissed to Kalka. At least make sure she understands who's in charge. Kalka set the last crate down in the wagon and rose to her full, impressive height, breathing heavily through her sharp nose. Suddenly, the brash teenager was less intimidating. "'You can handle it, Torson,' she said softly. Thus encouraged, I too stood a bit taller and crossed my arms. The horse on loan, Top by name, I had hitched up prior. Kalka flicked the reins while Sumi and Furrier strode beside. Top pulled the laden wagon with ease over the grass.' The farmer's other beast of burden, Muffin, was away on a sort of wellness retreat per the advice of their local hostler, but that's a story for another time. Thankfully, the damp had granted us a respite. Dry, cool autumn air was all that remained, save a few traveling clouds. My employer and Sundry rounded the corner of the inn, making for the walk, and beyond that, the main thoroughfare into the town center of Noari. The trees in the lawn shivered, and a few leaves drifted down the wind, and I laughed. Falling market day, I said aloud. A heavy crunch, that of an apple being ground by a practiced maw, drew my attention. 
After a deep breath, I turned to face Isru, arms again crossed, and said, Right, there's a tray in the kitchen. Go and bring the coffee up to the third floor. A couple of the folk are in room 31. She dropped her apple and flicked her knife around her finger. The blade circled this way and that with shocking expertise before it found its sheath. Don't you know anything? There was more than a little scorn in her voice, but she complied. When you're done... I raised my voice, and Isru halted between the porch and the inn. Please, tidy rooms 24 and 32. I believe those guests are leaving today, and I have to see to the common area. Her affirmative was a hand gesture I was not familiar with, but one I took to be rude. No matter, there was work to do. The kitchen stood empty and clean. Heat still emanated from the monstrous oven, a great iron range that belonged upon the altar of some eldritch cult leader rather than a humble kitchen. I stared at it distastefully. The device was all sharp, metal angles, and at every angle was a flourish of design that appeared ready to maim rather than bake. The day's bread rested beside it. Thankfully, the tray I'd petitioned Isru take was gone, and I hoped in the correct place. That left porridge to me, the one item on offer this morning after the ubiquitous bread, jam, butter, and tea. But what goes into such hearty fare? I put finger to lip for a moment and thought back to my conversation with Kalka the night before. Do you know how to make porridge? she'd asked. Of course, I replied, and that was it. I sighed and shrugged, and began digging through the shells behind the polished teak workshop by the stove. Here it was, some flour, a bit of water, and yes, a handful of berries to sweeten the lot. Now it went into the flaming, monstrous stove. The embers burned inside from the morning bread, and I was able to reignite them quickly. Then the pot, then the water, and soon there was hot water with which to work. Now the flour, now the berries, now we have... oh my... I stopped stirring and thought some more. This looked more like dirty water than anything else. A slurry, I think they call it. Apply grains, you half-wit. A shudder of rage took me, but I calmed myself and reached beneath the worktop again for the open sack of barley. Did they like the coffee, Isru? I asked. Yeah, after I found the coriander, she replied. A large scoop of grain made it into the pot, then another. What? Coriander. The folk traditionally take coriander in the coffee, dingbat. A mantra presented itself in my mind. I will not cave to a petulant child. I will not cave to a petulant child. And what is that? I asked with honesty. It's a spice. Really? How could you not know that? Callahame isn't known for its... Forget I asked. She sighed and sat on top of the center table with a slouch. How do you know so much? The folk are rather... Reclusive. Is Shatan of the folk? Wait, are you of the folk? I stopped stirring, all rage having subsided at this new revelation. I'd only ever seen the Fala, or folkman, on rare occasion, and then only in passing. It was understood that they largely kept their forest in the southwest pocket of the continent, but Shatan certainly carried the same air of dignity and erudition and, well, smug superiority. She also had their typical long, smooth, jet-black hair, dark brown skin, and wide eyes. Isru showed some of the same, though lighter in both hair and hue. "'You have customers,' she said. My eyes darted, of their own accord, first to the door, then back to my alleged assistant. "'Stir the porridge, please. I mean, fix the porridge. It's... yeah.' I was carried off by my own feet before the sentence could complete itself." In the common room were the subjects of our conversation, the two Fala who apparently took coriander with their coffee. 
Nayogi was there as well, along with a few other townsfolk, including a dad or two, and there were a set of staring trolls. My eyes fluttered and I cleared my throat, preparing to do my hostly duties. At times I felt like a bird, a crow, one could say, diving from its branch when I slipped out from behind the bar to circle the common room. I was in flight. The fala wished for no food, but offered me a parting smile. The townsfolk, I now recognized Elgad among them, who also gave me a generous smile of recognition, wished for the usual, bread and jam and tea, also fried eggs. I had the grim responsibility of informing them of a curious lack of eggs, but to come back tomorrow, as no doubt eggs were to be found at the falling market. They squinted in confusion at the term, falling market, and returned to their conversation. That left the trolls in need of service. It should be noted that I am a broad-minded person. Callahame is as diverse in its peoples and practices as any other place, and so I spent my youth among all sorts. The many peoples of men, whom we refer to as continentals, were represented as were the dwarves. All manner of belief as well, your typical private believers, your beambacks, your ailtics, along with sundry cults and lodges. I've seen them all, even if I am not learned about each. So I find and found myself in wonder at my own plain fear of trolls. Perhaps it's their carnivorous appearance? Again, broad-minded. A person needn't appear a certain way to have quality and worth. Yet it buggers the mind that a people should so toe the dividing line between civilized upright folk and monsters that inhabit one's dreams. I shall endeavor to fix this character flaw of mine, but first, breakfast. Tea, and ten rashers of bacon, said the taller and greener of the two in a throaty voice of staggering similarity to Furrier's. I'm sorry, I murmured, we've only bread and porridge. Just a tea, then he said in an obvious way. I murmured, certainly, and was off. As the circling bird must alight back to its nest, I completed my circuit and returned to the kitchen. Serrated blade in hand, I slashed bread and scooped potted jam into more reasonable serving bowls. The food sat and waited with me for the tea. A snapping sound caught my attention. Isru was maiming another apple, staring out the window. Go and clean room twelve, I snapped. She rolled her eyes like great, creaking boulders, but complied. Wait. I slid the bread plate towards her. Please take this to Elgad's table on your way. It's not on the way, she called as she left, simply unable to avoid a parting shot. The kettle whistled. I poured, and was back into the common room quick enough to hear the door shut behind Isru. No new patrons. Those present seemed grateful. I was, in fact, handling breakfast service. The tea deposited at the troll's table, I thought it my in-keeping duty to return to the bar and look as attentive as possible. Oi! said a small voice like wet gravel. I stopped in my tracks and turned to face the trolls again. Yes? We've heard there were another working in these parts, the smaller yellower troll said conversationally. He gestured between himself and his companion. One like us, see? My mind immediately went to the cellarer. Now this was a development. Were these two looking for Furrier? Could my work associate and potential nemesis be embroiled in some kind of trouble, or at least controversy? You're asking if I know of a troll fellow who lives here in Nuari? I set the serving tray against my hip comfortably. The troll nodded and smirked, then said to his breakfast companion, Sharp one he is! Were all trolls so rude? I now wondered if Isru wasn't part troll, but shook the thought away. Instead I said, Yes, in fact I do know of a troll who works hereabouts. If memory serves, he should be in town at the moment. You might catch him if you're headed that way, unless you're staying here at the Crow. We've got a few rooms available. 
The taller, greener troll leaned back, and for the first time they looked unsure of themselves. Just passing through, as it were, he said. Perhaps on the way back we'll spend a night or two here. That's presuming you've got space fitting the likes of us, which presumes a lot, I'd say. We, um, we can guide absolutely any guest to the lap of comfort. Both trolls burst into laughter, saying things like, Right poet he is. Told you he was sharp. They laughed a bit longer and raised their teacups, looking comically small in their spindly troll fingers. Cheers, they said, and I found my way back to the bar. Catching my breath, I enjoyed the relative calm and allowed my nerves to settle after bandied words with sarcastic trolls. Still, no more patrons. They must all be at the market. Neergi, the only one at the bar, muttered, It isn't natural. Then, wiped his beard and took his leave. The rest of the breakfast service went as smoothly as I could have hoped. The trolls drank their tea and left, perhaps in search of furrier, or perhaps in search of bacon. Elgad and the other townsfolk left with a companionable wave that left me feeling profoundly warm. Give Kalka my best, said Elgad, in parting. Then he looked somewhat embarrassed. I wondered at that. There was no sign of Isru, and I felt no desire to chase her down and chastise her for perhaps not seeing to room twelve. Thus settled, I remained at the bar, not tidying the now-empty tables, but quietly contemplating things like luncheon, for I don't know how long. Then there were noises at the back door. I cursed and flew once again round the common room, picking up cup and plate as I went, carelessly swiping crumbs onto the floor. It was, honestly, the least I could do to at least grant Kalka the impression that I had handled it, that her inn was safe with me. She did seem to treat the crow as protectively as one might a baby, though I had little experience with babies. Torsen, come and help, please, shouted the innkeeper. I positively glided into the kitchen, depositing dirty dishes as I passed, and made for the rear porch and whatever parcels awaited. Feeling as though it were yuletide with presents to be opened, I rounded the corner leading from the kitchen into the rear mudroom and was nearly knocked over by Furrier. He said nothing, offered no crude jest, and did not look my way. The crates he carried were set down with a slam, and he was gone. Help, said Kalka again. In the wagon were more oddments that I could not have imagined them obtaining in so short a span of time. Clearly, this was an experienced crew. There were more crates with the essentials like grain and flour, dried fruits and spices. There were a few boxes and sacks with luxury items, perhaps for us or perhaps to be served as specials, and more besides. Within minutes, the wagon was unloaded, I was winded, and expressing my displeasure. Why doesn't the troll help? I gasped. Leave him be, said Kalka. She made for her beloved kitchen and the common room beyond. I stood on the lawn catching my breath, admiring the dignified way that Top munched on whatever it was he was munching on. Sumi kind appeared. Hello, she said cheerfully and held out a small brown box. Sweets, enjoy, for I must be going to see Furrier. And that was all. She too entered the inn. I opened the small box and found a small, apparently stuffed pastry inside, and I smiled. It was not yet luncheon, and it was a great day. Torsen! The voice of the innkeeper echoed from inside. Well, it had been a great day. She awaited me at the bar, as expressionless as usual. Isru stood beside her. Sweep up, please, she said quietly. I nodded with caution and did as she asked, pushing breadcrumbs and spilt tea leaves into the corner before scooping them up to go in the compost outside. Apparently, we traded such stuff with the townsfolk. Nicely done today, said Kalka with a half-smile. 
Such a feeling of accomplishment swept over me that I had to steady myself for fear of falling over. The day remained great. Well, I began, you know. Isru contorted her face into what was, I assume, a mocking expression. She stuck out her tongue and pulled her eyelid down disdainfully. Thank you, I finished. Nearing the back door, I realized what I should have said. It was a team effort, I called. A team effort. She's not in here anymore, dummy, shouted Isru. Compost deposited. I remembered Top, who remained nearby, chewing with more manners than Isru had. Come on, I said to him, and walked the little horse to the stable. I sighed and laughed, and felt at home. This has been The Green Crow Inn, by Derek A. Kamal, read by Kalman Friedman, with music by Michael Elliott. To find out more, including how to purchase your copy of the novel, please visit shorelessskies.com.